Welcome to the Burley Brew All Things Egg podcast. In this podcast, Tyler Kralichek, the Burley County Extension Agriculture and Natural Resource Agent, and Kelsey Deckert, the Burley County and Morton County Extension Horticulture Agent, discuss current agricultural topics. Topics range from livestock, crops, weed management, farming and ranching, to gardens, lawns, trees, and landscapes. We hope to enrich your life by bringing you the timely, science-based information to apply in your practices. Well, good morning, Kelsey. Uh, It is a nice, wonderful day as we're uh, sitting in here and doing our recording. How are you today? Not doing too bad. Not doing too bad. Uh, Finally feel, you know, temperatures are warming up and maybe that warmth is going to stay now for a bit. So that's that's a good sign. Right. And things are actually green. Uh, it's kind of a weird, uh, weird look outside, but uh, it's definitely very inviting to actually have moisture in the ground for once. Spring. Absolutely. Absolutely. So here we are in the month of June. What's going on in the agriculture, crops, livestock world? What's what's important this time of year? Well, June is a, a very good, uh, good time for growth. And uh, although we're very excited about uh, a lot of the pastures looking significantly better than they have in the last few years, um, crops that we're able to get in the ground seem to be coming along very nicely. Uh, But unfortunately, there's uh, other plants out there that uh, are these little undesirable ones that, well, quite frankly, we don't want. And so weeds are definitely uh, growing extremely well, Um, you know, whether they have a real deep uh, root system or not, they're, uh, they're definitely taking off and rearing their head back and being a, a huge issue for people this year, just because of, you know, a couple of years not having moisture now that they are, some of those dormancies have really taken off. Okay. So with that, what are, what are some main weeds that we would be looking at for this time of year? I mean, I know there's probably a lot of different type weeds out there to be scouting for, but are there any that, you know, our main ones and are specific to different crops? Sure. So, you know, the main ones that we really need to focus on are obviously noxious weeds. Uh, Legally, we have to control those 13. So if you see any of them, um, you're going to want to make sure that you you do control them. But just in general, I mean, uh, normally this time of year between uh, kochia starting to really spring up, I know wormwood's really uh, starting to pop up in a lot of locations. Lamb's quarter, I haven't seen much of that yet, but I'm sure that's going to be right around the corner here real cool real soon too. Um, and those are mainly just stuff that you would see, uh, at least lamb score more on, uh, the farming side of things from a rancher's perspective, if you're out in the pasture or, uh, dealing with CRP or ditches, um, spurge, leafy spurge is definitely going to be a big concern here coming up again. Uh, last year I heard there was some really good control on it, but, uh, as you know, weeds have a tendency to pop up in areas you don't want. So I'm sure, uh, those are some of the major ones that we're going to start running into here really quick. Okay. Yeah. That's good for people to know it. Tyler, do you want just, uh, for our listeners who, um, I know sometimes we get out of, out of state, out of country listeners on our podcast, but would you mind talking about, or just run through the list of the 13 noxious weeds for North Dakota quickly? Sure. Absolutely. So, um, the ones that uh, we're going to see more predominantly, uh, at least things that I'm running into, um, are going to be Canada thistle is going to be one of the major ones. Uh, you've got leafy spurge. You know, I talked about that a little bit ago. Um, and then absence wormwood is going to be one of the major ones that we're going to kind of see, especially in, in our neck of the woods. Um, some other ones that uh, we'll see mainly along the river, uh, purple loosestrife 
uh, is a problem. Um, luckily, we've had some good identification, even though they're pretty flowers, they definitely need to go. Um, in terms of the thistle side of things, um, you know, Canada was one I mentioned. Musk is another one that uh, we have to deal with. So, um, you know, knowing the difference between Canada thistle, Russian thistle, and musk thistle, um, uh, Russian is not considered uh, noxious, although that is definitely one that we want to kill. So, um, in terms of another weed family, uh, you've got the three napweeds, uh, spotted, Russian, and diffuse. Um, you know, a little bit different in their overall structure, but uh, definitely ones that can really take over, especially if you get into some of your pasture um, locations. Um, two more that typically are found in, in the range area are going to be Dal Dalmatian coat flax and yellow coat flax. Uh, if you've seen these plants that look pretty similar to snapdragons, if you're a, a gardening person, it, it might be a toad flax. So definitely want to make sure you get a good ID on those uh, and if need be, uh, kill them. And then the one I didn't mention before from a uh, wetlands perspective, salt cedar. Um, we've done a really good job, you know, in the last 20 years of, of controlling that. I know there was a big time outbreak um, in some of those wetter areas, but uh, that one can be a, a nasty bugger to deal with. So those are the ones that are listed. Um, you know, if, if you end up seeing Palmer, that's another one that, you know, hopefully we never see just based on the issues that we've run into. Uh, Palmer Amaranth with uh, control. It does have a lot of resistance to multiple um, modes of action. So, um, and the one plant that I guess we see typically in, in our uh, county that's going to be pretty similar would be red root pigweed. Uh, but luckily at this point, we haven't seen much of it. But, you know, coming into June, especially towards the middle, we're really going to start seeing that stuff coming up as well. So, those I guess are some of the major weeds that we deal with here. And I guess I could talk about dandelions, but that's more your, your <laughs> world in horticulture. So I'll, I'll leave that one to you. Right. So mentioning that, thank you. Um, I think, that, like I said, I think it's just good because, again, we get some listeners out of state, out of country. So we're focused on just knowing what those 13 noxious weeds here in the state are. But what sure. are some of the control options then that we have out there? Well, it's going to depend on where you're at, you know, anytime you're using, uh, and I'll, I'll reference chemicals mainly at, uh, with what I'm looking for, for control. Um, you got to make sure you follow the label, obviously not just with, um, you know, how much you can use on uh, a location, but also make sure you're, you're fitting the uh, chemical to the right location. I know there's some really good products that work for wheat like species or weed varieties that people have used in lawns. And I tell you what, you don't see a whole lot of issues with weeds, but if you do any kind of uh, lawn clipping, you know, residue uh, uh, capture to use in, uh, in composting, boy, you run into some really big issues. So that's one of those things from a farmer's perspective. Yeah, it's nice that you have those chemicals. Don't use them, you know, in some of those areas we're going to capture. Using the right product is going to make a difference. You know, using Milestone, for example, um, I know a lot of people have used those pro with like buck brush. Um, and some other different types of woody species, or even, um, you know, using it in a tank mix to help control things like spurge, you know, making sure you're not getting too close to trees. Chaparral is another one that people have had some issues with. So just make sure you're reading through the label to, uh, to fit the right chemical uh, to where you want to go. So in terms of uh, a biological way, um, spurge, for example, I know they have the beetles. So if, uh, if you can get into uh, contact with your local county weed board, uh, officer. Usually they uh, have a pretty good vein as to where a lot of those collection sites are too, or uh, your county agent. So um, if you do want to have them on your property, try and control some spurge if you have it. Works out quite well. 
Yeah. And I'll just add in on you uh, just saying, you know, making sure to follow the label and stuff. Um, obviously it is something we see with producers and stuff, uh, people using egg chemicals. And when I say egg chemicals, I mean, product products that are labeled for crops and not lawns, um, because they do know it kills weeds, but I just want to remind those listeners out there, if you are doing that, you are using that product illegally. It is not labeled there. Um, so just know that you do need to make sure it's labeled for the area you are trying to control weeds in. So you just mentioned some insects that obviously are biological control, but at this time in June, I mean, are we scouting for, you know, some of those little insect pests in our crops and like, which ones would we be looking for um, going into this growing season? Sure. Well, anybody who uh, has livestock or especially horses is, it probably has either some fields of alfalfa on their own, or they've got a guy that, uh, or a gal that they work with to get some. So if you are raising alfalfa, uh, the weevil, is really going to start. Um, you know, luckily we had that cold snap, um, you know, try and be positive with that, uh, you know, historic, uh, blizzard that we just ran into in, in April. Um, so it's, it's cut down some of those, uh, degree days that, uh, or some of the heat units that they, the, uh, alfalfa we will need to really, uh, surge in population, but we definitely want to, you know, say middle of June and depending on if you've had outbreaks before, you know, uh, go out and scout your field. So, you know, whether you just go out there and, uh, you know, take a, a net and try and catch them or even just, you know, cutting off a couple of alpha plants and even going on the hood in your pickup and just shaking it out and seeing if, if you have the weevils will be, uh, pretty, pretty big to make sure of, do you need to have corrective action or not? But, um, for sure the end of June is really when you're going to start seeing them. So if, if you can't do it at the beginning of June, make sure by the end of June, um, you know, you're kind of keeping an eye out for it, especially if we're getting into July and you're not seeing any blooms that's definitely a huge concern. And that could be one of the reasons uh, for not seeing those blooms might be because of those darn weevils. Is there any, like Tyler, could you give just a small description of what those weevils look like? Just again, if people, I mean, obviously if they're questioning an insect, they should always contact their local extension agent to get identified. But is there uh, are they hard to identify or? Yeah, like they're, they're really not. Um, they're so, if, uh, and, and usually when I see them, a lot of times just between scouting, I know some people, um, just go out there and, you know, they'll notice a few when they're cutting their alfalfa field would unfortunately have breakdowns happen. Um, but yeah, if you just look at your cutting bar, um, or even just in the rows, you'll see there are little, uh, not the adults you're talking, talking about, uh, uh, the worms when they're in worm stage, they're not quite an inch long, but they can get up to that long. Um, and they're not tiny, but, uh, you know, probably uh, about the size of, um, you know, a lot of your caterpillars, not quite your pinky, but definitely probably about half the diameter of your pinky. So they're, they're, they're not huge, but they're definitely uh, noticeable. Good, good, good. Okay. Yep. So then uh, what are some control measures we have for those or are there, was there any other insects to look at? Well, you can keep an eye out for some aphids. I mean, sometimes you get some early populations, especially in your soybeans. Usually that's a little bit later in the year, but yeah, typically you're looking more for the alfalfa weevils. Um, you know, last year we had a couple of their different bugs that kind of came out of nowhere that uh, hopefully we don't run into this year. So just with, you know, some of the heat units we had last year and, and lack of moisture, but um, you know, we'll see, see what we run into. Um, if nothing else, uh, definitely want to scout your field and see what you're running into. Cause obviously bees are beneficial insect but uh, if there's something else out there and you don't know what it is 
definitely want to make sure that uh, you're looking for it. But um, the biggest thing that we're going to want to do, um, you know, if you are scouting, if you see one, I wouldn't worry about it. It's, it's not a big deal. Now, um, you know, when you run into a population where you start seeing your alfalfa actually start to decrease, turn brown, then that's the time when you might need to get serious about buying some kinds of insecticides to go out there and take care of, uh, take care of your problem. So we do have a couple different models that uh, we can use to help you with determining not only what uh, the value of your crop is, but uh, what the level is that you're going to need to go out there and spray. And if, if by chance you hit that threshold where, you know, spraying is an option or a necessity, uh, things like stallion, warrior, um, or a couple different types of insecticides that you can use that work extremely well. Um, the other thing is too, if you don't mind uh, cutting early, um, a lot of times that sunlight's actually going to end up uh, killing off uh, the larvae. Um, so a lot of people do is they'll just end up cutting early um, and then, you know, uh, rolling over those rows to uh, make sure they get a good kill. So it just kind of depends how late in the year um, or excuse me, how late in, uh, in the maturity of the alfalfa and then also how big your population is out in your field. Anything for those aphids then? I mean, you're going to use some different types of, uh, you know, a lot of times they'll try and use some organophosphates. I know that's kind of a, a hot button issue with uh, a lot of people using those types of insecticides, but uh, there are different types of uh, pyrethroids that are out there and available um, for controlling aphids uh, as well. So biggest thing is just identification. And once you figure out what kind of bug you're dealing with, uh, then we can kind of pair up what uh, the best recommendation for uh, chemical, if that's what route you're going to go uh, to use. Okay, so anything else to add or just summarize that June is the month to start scouting weeds Def and insects? <laughs> well, you def you de it's definitely a good kickoff point. And, uh, you know, like most of your weeds and hopefully uh, some of the people, you know, if they're doing a burn down application before they end up planting, you know, some of your later crops, whether it be uh, flowers or, uh, you know, some soybeans, if you're getting it in late, uh, just making sure that you're trying to get on those weeds before they get too tall, you know. A lot of those uh, troublesome weeds, when you get them when they're small, you know, under four inches, you got a pretty good chance of success for killing them. If they get to be a foot tall and, you know, start to pop a seed head, that's, uh, I mean, definitely you can still control them, but it's a lot harder. So, yep, getting after it and seeing what you're dealing with is, is going to be crucial with uh, your spray applications, especially with how expensive those uh, chemicals are these days to make sure that uh, you're being effective with what you do out there. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Well, let's shift gears and we're going to jump into kind of the hort world. And to start off, I actually want to talk about winter injury or winter kill or winter burn, however you want to talk about it, um, on our evergreen trees. Um, the reason I want to talk about that is I continue to get calls about this. And like we've talked, I think on previous ones, you know, we've had some really unusual weather patterns. I don't even know if you'd call them pattern, but a very unusual spring one for the record books. And it's definitely, um, impacted our evergreen trees and, and mainly it's very noticeable on our spruce trees. Yeah. So to get so what, started, how, go, how, do you know oh, how do you know if it's winter injury? I mean, yeah, obviously you want to know, you know, what do you do, but like, how do you identify it as winter injury versus a disease or something like that? Right. And so like winter, winter injury, um, you know, it, 
its symptoms are going to be really apparent after our snow melt, kind of when we start seeing those rise in temperatures and stuff. And so I like to tell people with winter injury, there's not really a set pattern to how it can fall on your tree. Um, you're going to notice it on areas that are open, unprotected locations, or, you know, areas that are going to get that exposure from like the wind um, or some of those conditions. And again, this, this spring with some of these blizzards, you know, we had some wind come out of some untypical directions and stuff. So it's not necessarily that it's going to be just specifically on one, one side of the tree. It could be, um, it may be kind of scattered throughout. I've been seeing it this spring, you know, even in tree rows that it's hitting some trees versus uh, others. And so really the symptoms that it looks like is you can see again, kind of a variance of the needle color. So you can have like this purplish brown, um, color on your needles you can have a brown or rusty brown, or you can even see like completely brown on, on trees and stuff. And so another thing I like to tell people is again, when you see it where maybe it's not, you have trees in a whole tree row and it's affecting a couple, those trees might be, you know, sticking out further. There might be again, kind of an open area where that wind can come in and hit those trees specifically, but there might be too, like, trees are just like humans. Like we're all unique and some are going to be naturally a little bit weaker than others. Some are going to be more tolerable um, to, to things like this. So it's really hard to say as far as a pattern, but um, like I said, you'll see it a lot of times. Um, it can happen where you, when our injury shows up and then you get your new growth right after that. Um, if you suspect that it's, you know, something else going on, contact local extension agent to check it out. Um, they can do a lot more thorough of a inspection or I guess site visit or even through pictures to identify whether it is or not. But a lot of the site visits that I've done this spring um, have been some random patterns. And when I get out there, you know, I'm inspecting those needles to see if I'm seeing anything that actually would indicate a disease. And a lot of them I'm not. But the other thing is, is again, we've had a rough few years. We've had a really wet spring in 2019, two years of droughts to follow. And here we are in 2022. So our, our trees have had to endure a lot of stress. Um, so yeah, it's just something to look out for. If you do have winter injury and stuff, you know, you can prune out dead, dead branches that you would have. Or if you have some new growth on there, you can let the loss of those brown needles drop off and, and let that new growth continue to grow out. So is my, my uh, tree going to die if I have winter injury or this pruning practices you're talking about going to help, or what are we looking at for a future outlook? Right. So it's going to depend on the severity of each situation. Um, yeah, there's younger plants that can be completely brown and die. There's older ones that may have had some other stress factors that winter burn maybe was kind of the icing on the cake to take that tree down. Um, in general, you know, if you're seeing brown throughout, scattered throughout the tree, it's not affecting the whole tree. You have a pretty good, good chance of your tree just kind of recovering. You know, the other thing to let people know too, is that our trees can tolerate stress. Like they can tolerate stress just like people. 
and continue to live a long life, so to speak. So that's kind of a brief overview, but if you would suspect, you know, other than that, or maybe it's not what I described going on, or you feel like there's something else, like I said, contact your local extension agent. You can always look up winter injury online. Just make sure that you're putting in the keyword like university behind a Google search of winter injury or even extension. That's going to pull up your research-based information and get you photos of what you need to see for that. So the other thing to talk about, you talked about um, scouting and, and June being a month for scouting. June is a good month to begin scouting for apple maggot here in North Dakota. So creepy crawlies, is that what we're looking for? (laughs) We might be a little bit on the creepy crawlies, right? Um, So apple maggot is the most common apple pest here in North Dakota. So with it being the most common, it's the number one common pest that we see. And what happens is beginning in early July, those adult flies will come in and they're going to pierce your apple skin to lay an egg, which creates a dimple that is visible on the exterior of your apple. So a lot of times I deal with apple maggot after people have been seeing these dimples um, on their apple tree. And so we're kind of starting at the end, but I'm going to get to the beginning here. And so after they hatch, those larvae or maggots will start to feed in your apple. And then they're going to create some tiny brown tunnels inside the apple. So if you'd slice and apple open, you kind of see these brown tunneling scattered throughout. Um, People refer to it as like railroad tracks. And this larvae is going to be very small. It's white. And what happens is it's going to exit the apple after it falls to the ground. So that's what kind of happens. But why we talk about in June is late June is when we want to begin monitoring for the presence of those adult flies. And so you can find apple mega traps. Um, You can buy them uptown, you can buy them online. And what you would do is you hang them out in late June. They're going to be coated in what is called tanglefoot. So that's a very sticky substance. You hang them in your tree. And if you start detecting that adult apple maggot, then you're going to look for like an insecticide that could contain carbaryl, melthion, or spinosad. And follow the label as far as how to use it and repeated at what it is labeled for intervolves on that. So that adult fly, just to give somebody a description, um, it's actually smaller than a house fly. It has like a white spot on its back and three or four white abdominal stripes across it. And then the wings itself kind of is, I would almost describe like zebra stripe as well on there. And so Like I said, we want to begin to monitor for that, hang those traps in. If we are detecting them, then we want to go ahead and get an insecticide to start spraying um, to save our apple trees, right? Sure. So can you make your own? I like to do it yourself model. I mean, and, you know, availability, there's some stuff that hasn't come in. Can can you do your own in terms of making an apple mega trap? How do you do that? Absolutely. So you can go to like a craft store, Hobby Lobby, Michael's. I would say even Walmart, some of those big box stores, and you're going to buy basically like a a wooden sphere, right? Um, You can find those for crafts. You're going to want to paint that a bright red color because it's going to resemble an apple. 
And what you would do is, again, you can buy Tanglefoot, like I mentioned earlier. That's going to be a sticky substance. So you cover it in that Tanglefoot. Make sure to drill some sort of hole or hook that you can actually hook it in your tree. Um, and it's going to be relatively inexpensive. And it's a do-it-yourself, like you said, if you like to be a handy guy. So um, you can do that. Just create some round wooden spears, paint them bright red, cover them in Tanglefoot, hang them out in your tree. Nice. Cool. So now we figured out we got them. Um, you've talked about some of the different uh, insecticides you use. So how do you, uh, is it just a, a over the top application on the tree or how do you, how do you go about that deal? I know you talked right. about the trap. Did you like function something inside the trap? So like if they get stuck or they just go to the insecticide? Right. So with those traps, they're just getting stuck. I mean, they're going to get stuck on there. Obviously they're not going to feed or whatever so they're they're gonna die in those traps but then if you move over and you get an insecticide because you've monitored you've monitored and you've obviously identified them there um it's gonna depend like i said the three active chemicals that you can look for carbaryl melthion spinosad you want to follow the label on how to do that and how to go ahead on spraying your tree for that um so timing is essential, and that's why late June we want to get those traps out because, like I said, a little bit a little bit ago is the beginning of July is when those adult flies go in and start laying eggs. So let's get after it, and let's hopefully save some apples this year. Sounds great, Kelsey. Is there anything else you wanted to add for uh, the horticulture side of things? Nope, that is all I got for today. So if you are good, Tyler, I guess we'll just thank our audience and um, hope that you guys continue to listen in on future episodes for the Burley Brew, all things egg. And um, yeah, that's all I got. Anything else? Nope, that uh, that's a wrap for me too. Thank you, listeners. We appreciate uh, your involvement. All right, have a wonderful day. Yep, take care. We thank you for tuning in on this episode of the Burley Brew, All Things Ag. We hope you will listen in on future episodes. If you have any questions or would like more information, feel free to contact the Burley County Extension Office at 701-221-6865.